By the time you hear this podcast, you'll learn that if Robert F. Kennedy became president, the world will be a totally different place. Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we are back with episode 49. Woo! The San Francisco episode. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you to all who have been listening so mm-hmm. far and downloading. We definitely appreciate it. Very much so. And, of course, if you want to tell someone where they can find our podcast, you know it can be found in a number of places. Uh, first, we would like to direct you to our website mm-hmm. by the time you hear this. Dot com. <laughs> uh, still no copyright claim, so we'll keep doing that. Um, <laughs> I, I dare them. Well, no, I don't. I don't dare them. I don't dare them. No. no. <laughs> uh, you can uh, go to our website there where we post all our episodes and links or videos to um, the music news that we talk about. Um, you can go to Podomatic, where we uh, they they hold our episodes. <laughs> um, you can go there, subscribe there, or you can subscribe through Apple Podcasts, uh, aka iTunes. Is it really called that now, or is it still called iTunes? It's really called Apple Podcasts. Okay, okay. I mean, I we, you can go through your iTunes on your computer. You know, if you download your podcast that way, mm-hmm. you know, you can do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> don't have an Apple. <laughs> uh, you can also uh, go to well if you have an Android it can mm-hmm. be done through the Google Play Music app in which you can uh, stream or download or subscribe to our podcast there mm-hmm. uh, if you're looking for any other kind of apps that um, then you can listen to whatever podcast you'd like we could recommend to you we would like to recommend to you uh, tune in 
mm-hmm. or Overcast or Castbox or Satchel Podcast Player. Uh, and um, yeah, you can listen to our podcast on any of those platforms. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we are at uh, we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash by the time you hear this spelled with the word you. That's also the same spelling for our website. If you want to get on our fancy, more sophisticated social media, you can follow us on Instagram at by the time you hear this spelled with the letter U because we're upstanding. Yes. And that is the same spelling for our email address. By the time you hear this at gmail.com where you can send us your questions, your comments, show suggestions. If you're an independent artist, we'll play your music and uh, we will discuss it. No charge. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's all. That's all for the intro. I do believe so. <laughs> all right. So let's get into some music news. Um, well, let's get into the, the charts first. Uh, so number one is still Despacito. <laughs> Man, that's and I guarantee you, Justin Bieber still can't sing the Spanish words, no. and he will never. But why? Yeah. Why try to do it now? Oh, aim at it. <laughs> um, we'll give you the top ten here. Uh, number two is "I'm the One," DJ Khaled featuring Justin Bieber, Quavo, Chance the Rapper, and Lil Wayne. Number three is also DJ Khaled, this time featuring Rihanna and Bryson Tiller, Wild Thoughts, a.k.a. Maria Maria 2017. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, That's What I Like by Bruno Mars. Number five, The Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. Number six, Believer by Imagine Dragons. Number seven, Humble, Kendrick Lamar. Number eight, Congratulations, Post Malone featuring Quavo. Number nine, Mask Off. And number 10, Something Just Like This, The Nickelback of EDM and Coldplay. (laughs) Uh, We'll get to our Billboard 200, debuting at number one, DJ Khaled. Grateful. Is that Uh, his? um, That's his son. What's his name? Saeed or Assad? Assad. Assad. I think it's Assad. He looks like a pimp, like he's in the hot tub. (laughs) Um, so, uh, congratulations to DJ Khaled debuting at number one, number two, debuting at number two, Evolve by Imagine Dragons, number three, Damn Kendrick Lamar, number four, the Purple Rain soundtrack. What? Is back <laughs> on the charts. Uh, there was a re release of, uh, oh, okay. There was yeah, a re release okay. with okay. some extras, some unreleased tracks, as we mentioned before. There were nine songs made the album, but there were over a hundred recorded. For the soundtrack. <laughs> um, number five, Pretty Girls Like Trap Music by Two Chains. Number six, debuting at number six, Mosaic by 311. Mm-hmm. Number seven, Divide by Ed Sheeran, the most influential artist in black music. Number eight, More Life by Drake. Number nine, 24 Karat Magic by Bruno Mars. And number 10, the Moana soundtrack. Have you seen this movie? I have not. Okay, neither have I. I just know people seem to like it. So, yeah. yeah. And of course, we have the Artist 100, in which I finally saw the formula for how this, how this, uh, how this, um, this chart works out. Of course, it is. Let me pull it up again, so I'll let you know. It's radio airplay plus sales data plus streaming data plus social fifty activity. So how you're performing on the radio, how people are mentioning you on social media, how you're doing sales wise, and how much people are. Playing you on the radio. 
well, I mean, streaming you on like Spotify or Pandora or something or Apple Music or Tidal. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so number one in the Artist 100 is Imagine Dragons. Release an album. Release an album. Get on the chart. <laughs> DJ Khaled is number two. Number three, Bruno Mars. Number four, Ed Sheeran. Number five, Kendrick Lamar. Number six, Prince. Mm -hmm. Re-release an album. Get on the <laughs> re-release. Yes. Number seven, Justin Bieber. Number eight, Drake. Number nine, Sean Mendez. And number ten, Sam Hunt. That's interesting that he's on there. Did he release an album? I don't know. I don't think he did. Or maybe he did, and it just didn't chart in the top ten. But he's still getting shine. I guess. Anyway, so that is the Artist 100. Um, Alright, so biopics are always interesting, at least to me. I don't know about Ben. No, I, I like them. Um, <laughs> I feel like really over like the last 10 years, um, as some of this music starts to age, and we'll talk about it in a second, like they're becoming more popular now. Yeah. Because the music, music is getting older. So I'm just waiting now for, you know, the music... Because this isn't music from our childhood, but I'm waiting for like the music from our childhood, like a no doubt um, yeah. biopic. I'm waiting for that because this, this is going to come or even like a Pearl Jam one or something like that. Um, although they've made they kind of made what was the one they made um, about Kurt Cobain? Oh, um, is it Last Days? Last Days. Yeah. Loosely based on Kurt Cobain. Yeah. So once we start to get something like that or even like, you know, like I know we've had the Tupac um biopic i felt like other than i know you don't like straight out of compton but other than straight out of compton i don't feel that hip-hop biopics have been done very well no um probably the closest to the well probably the best biopic which really isn't one but it kind of is one is eight mile yeah that's probably the the best done one wait you mean the mc hammer story from h1 <laughs> <laughs> that's number two very close number two <laughs> just behind um just behind get richard tight <laughs> richard tight is number three <laughs> but before we go too far off topic, notorious number four notorious <laughs> us, us. um oh and a crush groove number five oh. uh so <laughs> so now the ones that are at that are coming out <laughs> so um I think we may have talked about this like in one of our earlier episodes, but um, there was um, there was uh, in the works to be a biopic about Freddie Mercury, of course, with Queen, with Sasha Baron Cohen playing Freddie Mercury and also directing the film. Uh, and after a falling out with um, with Roger Taylor uh, over the artistic vision there uh, that. Uh, Sacha Baron Cohen has been replaced. Yeah, he'll be replaced by actor Rami Malek, who you may know from the series Mr. Robot, to which I believe he won an Emmy and or a Golden Globe for his performance on that show. He he's he's good, well deserved. So he will be playing Freddie Mercury, and it will be directed um, by Brian Singer. Of um, didn't he did uh, Rush Hour right? I know he did one of no, the. No, that was uh, Brett Ratner. Ratner. I know Brian Singer Singer did some of the X Men movies. I, I well, you know what? I take that back because Brett Ratner was hated because he ruined the third X Men movie. Yeah, they liked Brian Singer, so maybe all right. There's some hope. There's some hope. Okay. 
Well, here's what Brian Singer has done uh, as a director. At least he has done. Um, he did. Uh, he did the first X Men. Directed that the one from 2000. He directed X Two, Superman Returns. Oh, um, like that movie. <laughs> Valkyrie, which that didn't make sense on the surface. Oh. You were with us, right, when we saw that? No, okay. I, have, I have not seen Valkyrie. It's awful. <laughs> it is awful. Tom Cruise speaks with an American accent, and everyone else yeah. talks with a British accent. Yeah, Just and they're supposed bad. to be in Germany. Just I, what, bad. Okay, whatever. Um, uh, he did X Men First Class. He uh, he oh. was credited as a producer and uh, writer. Okay, okay. Uh, X Men Days of Future Past. A lot of action here. Uh, X Men Apocalypse. And X-Men Dark Phoenix, which is coming out next year. He will be producing that one. So Bohemian Rhapsody is apparently the name of this film. (laughs) Which you seem to hate. (laughs) Just because it's like it's a song title. Like it it could have been called Freddie or Mercury or if it was about Queen or I don't know. Or maybe a different, a different, um, if it was a name of an album or song. A Night of the Opera, maybe. <laughs> I honestly, I would have called it Killer Queen, <laughs> just because. Like, it's just oh, that's that movie about Queen. Oh, what's it called? Killer Queen. Like, oh man, that's awesome. I don't know. That's what I would have done. Um. So yeah, it's going to be. Um, it's written. It will be written by Anthony McCartan. Um, Anthony McCartan is known for. Um. Anything I've seen here, uh, the theory of everything, which is about Stephen Hawking. Okay. Um, Death of a superhero, uh, which is about. Um, oh, it was based on a uh, New Zealand novel. Actually, it was an adaptation of his own book. <laughs> um, this ought to be interesting then. <laughs> <laughs> and with theory of everything, uh, let me see. Was he not? He had to been not before an Oscar. That won a lot of things. The theory of everything. It. Uh, he was nominated for best adapted screenplay, okay. Anthony McCartan. So, uh, you got someone who has some uh, some success, some chops to do it. Um, there's no set. Uh, there's no set uh, release date for it yet. Yeah, I imagine they got to get a script written first too. So, uh, we'll give you a couple of other portrayals of uh, Freddie Mercury. He was a supporting character in the BBC television drama Best Possible Taste, the Kenny Everett story. Uh, for people who are not familiar with Kenny Everett, uh, he was a comedian, actor, writer, television presenter uh, in the UK. He was kind of like, from what I've seen, he was kind of like. Um, He's kind of like a Robin Williams type comedian, um, but he probably he probably got had a lot more creative freedom than Robin Williams may have. <laughs> uh, but he was um, one thing that was highlighted was uh, he was best friends with Freddie Mercury. Okay, and uh, that was in that movie he was played by James Floyd, and he was also played by actor John Blunt in the Freddie Mercury Story, uh, another TV movie in the UK. Uh, it's called the Freddie Mercury story. Who wants to live forever? Um, 
Although the program was criticized for focusing on Mercury's love life and sexuality, Blunt's performance and likeness to the singer did receive praise. Okay. So you have that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of look, looking forward to it. Um, with, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, like, like you said, with biopics of, with music that we listened to growing up. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to do. I think it's, it, you don't see a lot of hip hop ones being done. I think a lot of hip hop artists would have very interesting stories, mm-hmm. but even with the ones that are the biggest icons, the stories have fallen flat in my opinion, just because, um, there's either too much being done or the, like, or the focus is in the wrong place. Mm. Like I thought I notorious could have been a whole lot better if it kind of focused on, it was, it was so straightforward that there's a lot you could gloss over. Yeah. It made the the movie made, it made Biggie look like he was just like this simple, too simple of a character. Yeah. To, you know, to where he was, he was an honor student yeah. until he dropped out of high school, <laughs> you know, to sell drugs, to support his daughter. Cause he, he had a baby when he was like 17, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the Tupac movie, I haven't seen it. Uh, I won't see it. I've read too many bad things. I mean, maybe if it came on TV for free, yeah, I would see it. Maybe, but I won't pay me. money. <laughs> um, there was too much going on with that to where it was all over the place. And, um, a lot of people will tell you that Tupac was a complex person mm-hmm. caught between, you know, being famous and then, you know, doing what's right for the world or, you know, trying to, um, trying to, you know, change the world, Yeah, you know, through his music. So he, he, he was a complex person and it didn't come off that way from what I've read. I mean, I think what has to happen is for and so like the the first movie that comes to mind right now for me is Walk the Line. You need to first you have to get really good actors. Mm-hmm. I mean I know Joaquin Phoenix is crazy lately, but he was a good actor. He he was good in that role. Um, and then um, why am I drawing a blank on who played who played June Carter Cash? It, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. She won an Oscar for it. Yeah, they were both very good. So you have to get actors like really good actors, and then you also have to like get really good writers. Yeah, like everything about that movie was good, and it really it. And I mean, maybe I I don't know. Maybe um, I mean, do you know if if the um, if the Cash Estate had any hand in that movie? Because I would also maybe wonder, like like with um, with uh, just the new edition movie, for instance, for mm-hmm. example, a lot of stuff was glossed over. Makes you think maybe it was glossed over because they wanted it glossed over. Yeah. So, like, how much access are you know people being given? How much are they shooting down? Because I'm pretty well, sure in this in this case, I think um, with Walk the Line mm-hmm. and with other biopics, you go get Ray, yeah. and um, you know other biopics like that. They're based off of someone's biography, so mm-hmm. it's based off of a book gotcha. already. Okay. So that's where your your foundation is coming from. Where the estate would get involved is the rights to use the music in the film. Yeah. Okay. And maybe you'll get some insight on some other stuff that maybe was in the book, but not really fleshed out. Mm-hmm. But you'll get, you'll maybe get some insight from, you know, people who are, um, who are running the estate for that. Um, with new edition, which, which makes it difficult to make 
series like that when the people are still alive yeah. and active. <laughs> they don't want to be seen in a bad light. They, want, they don't want to be seen in a bad light. They don't want things to be sensationalized, of course, mm. but they don't want things to be to kind of like take away from what the whole project is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why in the like for the new edition story, we don't hear anything about Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston. Mm-mm. It was it was like one mention in one small scene. And the only person who seemed to put himself out there was Ricky. Mm hmm. And seeing what and d- him dealing with his addiction, yeah. So okay, he really did. Okay, now that I think about it, yeah, he really put himself out there. Yeah, yeah. Um. So. Yeah, it's gonna it, it's. And even when the person has passed, the the main character in this mm-hmm. case with Freddie Mercury, it's still pretty hard because while well, the other band members are still alive, <laughs> <laughs> so, and they still tour, <laughs> so. uh yeah, it becomes it becomes increasingly difficult, and yeah. um, and then depending on what kind of genre it is, I feel like will have an effect. Like um, to think about, like NWA was very influential mm-hmm. in hip hop music, especially on the West Coast. But their run was very short. Yeah, they only made three albums together mm-hmm. over a four year period. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> you can honestly say that. Um, I mean, straight out of Compton, not straight out of Compton, but um, what, why can't I think of the name of the album? It was the biggest one, like had the biggest influence, the first their debut record. Why can't I think of the name of that album? Because oh. with um, was it Fuck the Police? Yeah, that was straight out of Compton. The name yeah. of the album is straight out of Compton. Okay, the name of the album. Okay, so I was thinking the right. Yeah, that was the that was really the most influential of the of the three. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank here. Cause I know that was the name of the of the. Yeah, I don't know what I'm thinking of here. Oh, yep, it was okay. Yeah, Shredder Compton. Okay, 1988. Wow, I did not realize that came out in 1988. <laughs> I feel old. <laughs> I was. I literally thought like, oh, that was like 91, 92. No, it was 88. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. Looking forward to the Freddie Mercury biopic. Um, we'll see what happens with it. Hopefully it gets, because I, I heard about Sasha Bear going like five years ago. Being oh God, that was a while back. He was supposed it? to, you know, be in it and direct it. So we'll see what happens there. Um, another biopic in the works. Uh, I posted the trailer to Tim's page, of course. Yeah. Shout out to Tim. <laughs> uh, Morrissey, um, the beginnings of, of Morrissey, uh, as an artist, uh, the biopic is called uh, England is Mine. There is a trailer on YouTube. You can search for that to check it out. Um, basically, it's basically the, uh, the beginnings mm-hmm. of the Smiths and the other. I feel like the, during that time um, and seeing anything related to these bands from from the UK and in their early beginnings, they were always in like four or five bands before then yeah (laughs) it's like they knew when they were like 12 13 years old okay they want to be in a band so if they're playing an instrument they they started practicing Mm -hmm. and probably two three years later they're trying to get other members to to start a band and then they start playing gigs and then someone notices them you know a very and while they soon those seem like very simple steps 
you know, you could see like, okay, these guys have some kind of talent, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, it's also very nostalgic because no one's going to get discovered like that anymore as as an artist, (laughs) you know, like, okay, I'm going to practice really hard. I'm going to get my friends from the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) My friends from the neighborhood, we're going to write some songs. We're going to play at this club to where we're actually too young to be playing there. Somehow we got a gig though. But somehow we got a gig and some record exec who, who has produced or who, or a producer who has produced for one of our favorite bands and one of our influences (laughs) is just going to show up at one of our shows one night. It's like, hey, I want to sign you guys. And then we make a hit record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and we come, become millionaires. And then one of us gets on drugs. Mm. And um, <laughs> if it's a, if it ends poorly, they die. Yeah. <laughs> if it ends well, it's it a gets clean. And yeah, they, they reunite. <laughs> and it's like, I never would have done it without these guys. And yeah, that that's yeah. That's every episode of Behind the Music. <laughs> yeah, which honestly you could just bring that back, honestly. But yeah, which I, I think that show would do well nowadays. People seem to have a hunger for documentary type shows. Yeah, I think it would do very well. Um, I think that's what Unsung is banking on. Yeah, there's a new one coming out with Wyclef. He's still around. <laughs> yeah, but there was a time when he was probably looked at being the next Bob Marley. You think so? He oh, was yeah. Haitian. That's- well, the Haitian Bob Marley, then. <laughs> I, I, mean, I guess. I don't know. Like, because Unsung is supposed to be like if you were underrated, right? Yeah. I don't think he was. Or underrated. if there was like that one bright, shining moment. And the one shining else. moment with Luther Vandross singing in the background. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then it all just kind of fell uh, fell off. Hmm. Um, I, I think in Wyclef that. Because of the expectations. Okay. I can, like, okay. the Fugees made two albums. Did they make two? They made two. I know they made the there score. Was, there was Blended on Reality, which was before oh, the score. Oh, okay, okay. But then that's it. That yeah. was over 20 years ago. That was. And then he has Gone to November, yeah. which is a big song. And it was supposed to go from there. Like, yeah. he was supposed to be this game-changing artist. Well, wasn't everyone from the Fuji supposed to be? Lauren Hill yeah. was supposed to be game-changing. And yeah, but Praz was kind of the... He was He was there. He was just there. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. Was like, he was kind of just there, and he was Wyclef's cousin. Was so, he, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're cousins. Oh, that's that's not even fair. <laughs> I thought he made it in the Fuji's on his own merit. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a reason why he always went last in the songs. He did. He did. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so you can look at the, you, uh, we'll post the trailer on our website as well. Yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting trailer um, with a ton of Brit slang <laughs> that you might not understand, spoken in accents that you might not understand, which I thought was very cool. Whenever I see movies that are that are that old and take place in the UK, and they throw in that Brit slang that like isn't cool anymore, so like you you have to research to find out what it means. And I'm probably if I do end up watching this, I'm gonna have to do some research to find out what they're saying. <laughs> it's probably the same way with um, uh, it has the same director who directed a Control about Ian Curtis and Joy Division. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so it, more of that <laughs> British slang. <laughs> um, and also you consider uh, the film 24-Hour Party People, which is about the Manchester scene in the 70s and 80s, more British slang. Yeah. Um, the only face I recognized was Steve Coogan. <laughs> uh, for people who may remember, oh, he was in uh, uh, Hamlet 2. Oh, man. Wasn't he in, um, hold on, that was the one about Jesus Christ, the movie. Um, what was his name? It was Hamlet 2, but it was about Jesus, right? Yeah, it yeah. was something like that. I still haven't seen Hamlet 2. <laughs> I really wanted to see that, though. That looked very funny. <laughs> Because he was also in Tropic Thunder, right? He was the director. Yeah, he was the director. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah that, was a, that was a funny movie. <laughs> Steve Coogan's a funny guy. So you can look uh, forward to that. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, Kesha, new Kesha song. Um, She had to... Now, you said she had to... Even since she's still technically under contract with Dr. Luke... Mm-hmm. She had to get like his permission to release this song. I think so. And I couldn't find the exact article where I read that. I'm just reading here now. She's it's called praying, mm-hmm. and she says is exactly how she felt after sexual assault. So when I heard the song, I saw what it was called. Um, I was like, this probably is related to what happened between her and Doctor Luke, and it was. So um, let me see if I can find if she's still under. Well, it's being released um, on Sony's Kimosabi Records, which is his imprint. Right? Which is his imprint, yeah. but he had, but the label terminated their professional relationship yeah. with him. Let me see here. Maybe he did. She didn't have to then, because I can't now. I can't see anything where she had to, that she had to get his permission, but apparently he's been sounding off about it and not saying very nice things. Hmm. Yeah. Why? Like, just leave it alone, man. Um, like, everyone knew it was going to be about you. And then just shut up and just let it happen. This is her first solo song in four years. Uh, she had previously released a song, I think it was last year, with uh, with Zed. Hmm. Or it was, yeah, it was with Zed, a song called True Colors. It wasn't a cover, was it? No. Okay, just make sure. Not, no, not a Cindy Lauper cover. Um, she said with this song, uh, I have channeled my feelings of severe hopelessness and depression. I overcome obstacles. I have found strength in myself, even when it felt out of reach. I found what I had thought was an obtainable place of peace. And she wrote that on Lena Dunham's website. Okay. And she says the song is about coming to feel empathy for someone else, even if they hurt you or scare you, it's a song about learning to be proud of the person you are, even during low moments when you feel alone. It's also about hoping everyone, even someone who hurt you, can heal. Hmm. Um, hold on. Okay, no, that is true. Ryan Lewis was uh, produced it. That's All interesting. Right. So he's he's working without. He's Michael. not working with Michael Moore. <laughs> Oh, uh, they'll find their way back to each other. Yeah. <laughs> to give us another Seattle the album. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, as soon as I heard it, though, it, and it means it's it's kind of slowed down. So just be prepared. It's it's kind of a. a yeah. It's, it's a somber mood. I mean, artists write about what they feel. And mm-hmm. that's what she felt at the moment. So or probably what she's felt for a while. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can check that out. It's a I know it was on the New Music Friday Um last week so mm-hmm. 
Speaking of other people making new albums, Foo Fighters' new album Concrete and Gold may feature an unlikely collaboration with Sean Stockman of Boys to Men. (laughs) (laughs) Who is said to be on the heaviest track. Yes, that said uh, Dave Grohl. Um, This album is set to hit shelves in September and uh, it may have a lot of A-list features on it. Um, Possibly Shania Twain, uh, Justin Timberlake, Lady Gaga. Um, So, uh, yeah, may have them on the backing vocals or the featured vocals. I would love to hear an actual duet between Lady Gaga and, um, and the Foo Fighters. I think that'd be really good. Yeah. I think it'd be done very well. Um, and uh, Taylor Hawkins, uh, the drummer, said, explained that the band had wanted to move away from their rock roots on an album for a while, but have always ended up sticking to the genre. He said, <laughs> every time we start a record, Dave goes, maybe we really need to get weird on this record. And he recalled. And then we always pull back and go, let's just make a good rock and roll record. <laughs> and I think we got weird. So maybe they're finally able to get weird on this album. That'd be awesome if that's the case. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like you were saying earlier, maybe they're at a point now to where the to where Dave Grohl has so much respect within the music industry yeah. and the band has the success and their respect that they can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they don't if if their album flops, no one whatever. buys albums right now. <laughs> they can still tour. That's the I think that's what helps them a lot is that they've built up this fan base that like hell. If if I found out they were coming to town and I had some time, I'd go see the Foo Fighters. I don't even know what's on the latest album. But I still go see them because they probably place a little bit of old stuff that I know. Yeah. So, and uh, you said now that um, they record all their albums at Dave Grohl's house, I like as a so, studio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He built a studio back after um, after the Color and the Shape. Um, in between that and um, there's nothing left to lose. He built a studio at his house in Virginia, and they just go there and they record. I believe. Did you ever see the video where they were like talking about like auditioning a new singer? And like Nick Lachey came in. <laughs> no, I didn't need to see watch that. this video. I think they're in his home studio. It's very funny um, because there were. I think this was like, if, like maybe two or three years ago. There just kept being all these rumors that they were replacing Dave Grohl, and so they had they brought people in to audition. And I believe in the video they made Nick Lachey the new singer, <laughs> and it was very funny. Yeah. All right. So, um, looking forward to Concrete and Gold. Hopefully, it turns out to be as weird an album as they want. That's an interesting title too. Concrete <laughs> and gold. So, yeah. Um, speaking of another artist making a new album, possibly Eminem. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, aside from being on a song with Big Sean uh, earlier this year, uh, he has not done very much in terms of making any music. Well, it's at least not for consumption. Yeah. Um, director Alan Hughes says that uh, there may be a new Eminem album on the way. And uh, he was being asked about um, about what Dr. Dre was doing. And he said, oh, Dre still records. People don't know this. Dre records every day. Literally, he's in there recording songs every day. 
He's like Picasso in that way. He's always painting. Right now, he's producing in the 11th hour a track for Eminem's latest album. Mm -hmm. So Dre's still real active in music. And um, that's funny. That's the same exact thing um, Jimmy Iovine said about him as well. (laughs) That like, because he was like, you know, um, Bill Simmons asked him like, why don't we ever hear much from Dr. Dre? Said because he doesn't like anything. (laughs) He's like he's always recording. He's like that's why you never heard Detox because he didn't like anything. And I was like, that's, I couldn't imagine being that much of a perfectionist where like, you're, you're already considered one of the greatest producers in hip hop of all time in your genre. And you don't like anything that you do, <laughs> but everyone else does. And it's just, I don't know. That would, I couldn't imagine that madness. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, it kind of reminds me of, um. And we could we could do an episode about this sometime down the line. The documentary beats rhymes in life about Tribe Called Quest, mm-hmm. and they're saying with um, I'm not sure I can't remember if it was for Midnight Marauders or Low End Theory, but they had to like take the final out the final like mixing from Q-Tip because he was just he was holding on to it and like adding things and tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it. And they're like, no, it's done. Okay, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to take it. Um, There's no one to, I guess, take the the. There was no one to take detox from Doctor Dre. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I bet you, I, and I bet you, Jimmy Iovine probably heard it. I was like, this is really good. And Dre's like, no, it's not, man. It's not done yet. It's not done yet. So like, if Jimmy Iovine can't get detox, no, you know what? <laughs> I feel like he may have said something, or someone else said something that it seemed innocent at the time but to Dr. Dre it was like no it's not good enough someone's like man this is this is just about as good as the chronic <laughs> and Dr. Dre was like this is supposed to be better than that this was better that's supposed to be better than 2001 and someone said just about as good they probably mm, had to talk him off of deleting not, everything <laughs> not enough <laughs> that's not it's not good enough then <laughs> oh, that'd be so sad I, I would love to hear Detox because I know like there was that one commercial he was in that had a beat that was supposedly from Detox and it was so good and I was like I can't I was getting excited but like we never heard from it nope so crazy um uh, another uh another incident or another piece of evidence to where a new Eminem album may be on the way uh, 2 Chains was being interviewed and he said that um, he uh, he recorded a song with uh, with Eminem and uh, well he was going to he was he did a song with Eminem after Eminem wanted him to do a remix with him nice and um, they did. He wasn't really into wanting to just come in and redo a hook and then yeah. do some ad libs. It says so. He met up with Eminem at Rick Rubin's house because you know that's what you do. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Eminem was willing to offer him a slot on the remix and cha- two chains up the ante and suggested that he get on the original track as a featured artist. And I tell him straight up, Eminem, what would you need a remix for? Remixes are used to carry records to number one spots. When you, when have you ever did a remix for someone or for yourself? I'm trying to think. Like he doesn't have many remixes. No. Huh. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really trying. Yeah, like that's just not Eminem's thing. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't do a lot of those. Some part twos, but not remixes. Yeah. And um, it will be his first album since Marshall Mathers LP two, which was from 2013. Didn't realize it'd been that long. Yeah. So uh, possibly new Eminem on the way. Um, we also let's see where we're at recording wise. Okay, cool. Um, Lord is not part of Taylor Swift squad. <laughs> Sorry, this is the funniest thing when you mentioned this. <laughs> um, so we kind of compared this to. So basically, she she doesn't like um, she doesn't like being associated with being in, in Taylor Swift's squad and and she said um common perceptions of Taylor Swift squad are frustrating and i mean and honestly like i mean i imagine i, I i'm just imagining um Taylor Swift is Regina George <laughs> and like the people in her squad are like you know the rest of mean girls so like, what we said Gigi Hadid and Selena Gomez Carly Kloss and, and Lord is Katie Heron if you've seen mm-hmm. mean girls you get all this and she's basically only hanging out with her to go back and dish to her two friends who aren't as cool, who I believe you said of Halsey. Halsey. Halsey is one of them. <laughs> and Troy Savon. because he needed a gay friend. <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you get that. Um, a guy who's too gay to function. <laughs> Such a good movie. But, like, I don't know. Like, that's just weird to me. Like, why would... Who, who cares who you're friends with? Like, is she trying to be like, oh, you know, I don't really like her. I'm just there for record sales. Like well, I think how people view like the 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 concept of the squad mm-hmm. of your circle, you know, for me it would be like, you know, our circle of friends. Yeah. But for it to be called a squad or a crew or a posse, shout out to Phil Jackson. Jackson really. <laughs> um, it's supposed to mean something more or if it's looked at a certain way, mm-hmm. it would be a I don't know. It's something to aspire to. Mm, okay. Um, I don't know. I guess she's, she's just not comfortable with that. Like, well, basically, you know, this album that she just came out with was her trying to come to grips with, with fame mm-hmm. pretty much. So, uh, also having famous friends, um, that is something that she's in the midst of dealing with Yeah. to where, how people are looking at you and what they associate with you. Um, instead of looking at her as a person, it's probably different kinds of things that she explores yeah. on this album. Um, and she, uh, I don't know. I guess she, she is, she's one that's, that's thinking differently. Yeah. I mean, she's, and not to call Taylor Swift, not an artist, but like Lord's an artist. Like she would do this for free. <laughs> She just happens to do it for money because people like it. Mm-hmm. And and with these type of people, that sounds bad. But with artists, with true artists, you find that they kind of shirk fame. You know, Kurt Cobain was a true artist. Didn't really like being famous. Um, and so I can kind of see, like, I give her crap about it. But I can see why she might not like to be associated with somebody. Or it might be frustrating to be associated with somebody because then... Um, if you're hanging out with somebody like a um, like a Taylor Swift, you might lose some of your artistic credit. You know, people might be like, uh, "She's not really in it for the music. She's just in it to um, <clears throat> to be famous or to be kind of like how I don't know if you ever hear about this. I'm taking it to sports, y'all. Um, they talk about a football player. How much do you like football versus what football gives you? Yeah, it's you know, people say that about Cam Newton. You're like, how much does Cam Newton like 
football or does he just like the fame that football brings him? Does he like being a star? You know, you you know, you could probably say that about Taylor Swift. Um, does Taylor Swift like being an artist? Or does she like what being an artist brings her? And I don't think Lord ever wants people to ever think that about her. I think she always wants to be, I love my art. Regardless of what it brings me, I could be broken down, beaten and scarred, and I still like I still have my art. So that's what I think it comes from. All right, we'll see what um what happens there, especially after she said uh sometimes hang with famous people was like Hanging with someone who has an autoimmune disease. She never mentioned Taylor by name, but everyone has assumed that that's who it's about. (laughs) She has since apologized for that. Um, So what else we got here? Okay. Our last piece of news. Well, two more things, two more things. Mm -hmm. Um, Jay-Z, the 444 tour is now, uh, it's, uh, has the tour dates have been announced. The tickets go on sale on July 14th. And of course, title subscribers can buy tickets now through exclusive pre-sale. <laughs> Stop trying to make title happen. Title's not going to happen. <laughs> hey, Ben, mm-hmm. you know what's better than $500 Jay-Z tickets? What? Credit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, so if, if you're in Atlanta, go ahead and get down to Phillips Arena and give them all of your hard-earned money. <laughs> uh, he will be at Phillips on November 14th. Um, he will start uh, October 27th in Anaheim. Uh, he'll be working through um, working through November um, and through December. So right before Christmas, his last show is at the Forum in L.A., People will probably be putting these on their credit cards. <laughs> Using up that available credit. Um, of course, 444 has gone platinum due to uh, Sprint purchasing a million copies I in partnership that. with Jay-Z streaming service. Oh, that was funny. Um, the album did not appear on the hot on the Billboard 200, even though it went platinum. Because Billboard disqualified the Sprint purchased copies. Mm. So those don't count. Well, not to Billboard at least. Um, I've yet to get it too. I'm a Sprint customer. I've yet to (laughs) to get it. I need to go ahead and do that. Yeah. All right. And lastly, uh, I think you said this, that uh, Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Puth's song, See You Again, is now the most viewed video mm-hmm. on YouTube. Yep. Passing 3 billion streams. Has it passed 3 billion streams now? I believe so. Yikes. Yeah, that um it overtook is it Gangnam Style and Gangnam Style? I don't know. The song by side that everyone knows where he does the horse dance. Um it overtook that. Um crazy cuz and now I'm feeling a little bit older. Gangnam Style came out in 2012. Wow, time flies. Um, so yeah, I mean, top looking at the top three here. See you again, Wiz Khalifa featuring Charlie Puth, which I think that um, as good of a song as that was, I think the Fast and Furious movie it was in kind of helped push it a little bit. And this is gonna sound bad. It also didn't hurt that Paul Walker died. I don't think it hurt. Yeah, um, Gangnam Style is number two, and then Sorry by Justin Bieber is number three. Um, yeah, 
I, w- I could see Sari overtaking Gangnam Style. It's a little far off right now, but I could see it creeping up there. Uh, a story that we found about um, about the song See You Again is that Wiz Khalifa was not the first artist that the song came to, as far as being part of the song. Uh, Wale um, tweeted that he turned it down because he thought it was way too sad a song to write to. And um, it had previously been reported that 50 Cent and Eminem passed on the song. I could see Eminem kind of 50 Cent, but I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I wish I, I'd just be curious to hear what they would have to do. Eminem's too, Eminem at this point in his life was too angry to rap on this song. Like, he could have done this you know, 2001, 2002. But like now he's just, that would have been the first fast and furious movie. (laughs) So Paul Walker would have died earlier. (laughs) Um, but then he would have never been at your show. That open, that open mic you did at laughing skull. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Great perform for a celebrity. Um, but yeah, now he's too angry to do that song. I couldn't see that happening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, he missed out. He missed out on something big there. And who knows? Maybe if Wale was on there instead of Wiz Khalifa, would the song have been nominated for an Oscar? Possibly. Possibly. Um, I don't like I, I don't I feel like you didn't have to do much on this song. Like Charlie Puth carried this song, in my opinion. This was almost kind of like um, I'm coming home where like the hook carries the song. Yeah. Or even Monster or um, Love the Way You Like. Like even though Eminem, you know was on Love the Way You Lie, that was carried by the hook. Like, that was... And I felt like this song was really carried by the hook. Like, do you remember much about what Wiz Khalifa rapped about <laughs> on this song? I mean... No. Like, I, I haven't actually heard the song in its entirety. Yeah, because once you've heard the hook... Yeah, you, you've heard the entire you've heard song. the song, yeah. So, like, it's very... Like, Wale, you... But, I mean, hindsight, of course, is always twenty twenty. You don't know that the song's going to turn that way. But, I mean, it's just like Wiz Khalifa you know, gets like, you know, the starring role, <laughs> Charlie, Puth. <laughs> Charlie Puth gets the featuring, you know, on a song that was basically all Charlie Puth. Yeah. All right. So that will, um, that will do it for our music news. Um, sponsored by no one, but it could be you Spotify. Yeah, it could be you. It could be, but speaking of Spotify, um, well, also with uh, Despacito being the number one song, Daddy Yankee is now the number one ranked artist on Spotify. Shut up, really? He is the first Latin artist what? <laughs> to be the number one Spotify artist. So it's funny you mention that because I've been paying more attention to that. And I did not realize how big Luis Fonsi was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me think, is he going to try to pull in Enrique Iglesias? Like, I've conquered the world. As an artist. And now it's time to conquer America. Basically. <laughs> and Kendra was like, no, don't. And I was like, hey, he wants that. Like, I know he's got money. He, I'm sure by no means is he broke. <laughs> but he could have probably, like, you know, add a significant amount to his net worth by, like, becoming a huge artist, you know, releasing a really big English language album in America. Um, So he, so is Ed Sheeran now number two? Number two most played artist on Spotify? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's. I'm sure he's doing fine. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get to Ben, your earworm of the week. 
you laughed at me when I gave you this one. Or yeah. not even laughed, you just kind of laughed. I, you know, I was disappointed. I was disappointed a little bit. I, I can't believe it either, because I hated this song when it first came out, but Chain to the Rhythm, Katy Perry, featuring Skip Marley. Um, it it crept up on me, man. <laughs> it crept up on me. And I love it now. Yeah. So sue me. <laughs> I'm helping Katy Perry. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Can you like so is this like liking East Coast music and West Coast music? Can I like Katy Perry and Taylor Swift at the same time? Is that allowed? You're you're walking a fine line, man. You're <laughs> walking they, a fine line. Would they get mad? <laughs> it's I get it's kinda like um uh well, I know you you didn't watch Glee, but you should. Uh there was an episode of Glee to where um it was called like, like are you a are you a Katie or a Gaga? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Basically like your demeanor, are you like this goody two shoes kind of person or are you someone who's more unpredictable and willing to take risks? I'm gonna guess the goody two shoes was Katy Perry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um so yeah, we'll listen to Yeah Chain to the Rhythm yeah. by Katy Perry featuring Skip Marley, and we will be right back. To the Rhythm by Katy Perry featuring Skip Marley. The first single from the album Witness. Um, 
I didn't look at where Witness was on the Billboard 200. Uh, somewhere. Somewhere out of the top 10 or top 20. Like, it's, yeah, it's not doing that well. Yeah. So, uh, that has been added to our BTTYT Earworms playlist on Spotify sponsors, which is available right now. All right. So, let's go ahead and get into our topic here. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, you would have seen what our topic was for this episode. A little documentary called Sample This. Uh, no, it is not about my trivia exploits. <laughs> Carol did. Um, it was a, it's a documentary which is available on Netflix about how um, a little band was put together which actually what becomes, which is they made a song, which is considered the national anthem of hip hop. Yeah. Which was funny to me. Cause I didn't know they had one. I figured it'd be a rap song, but no, it's <laughs> this one. It's this. this was the beginning. Um, and it wasn't even a song yeah. they wrote. It was a cover. <laughs> yeah. It was a cover of a song, a cover of a cover of a cover. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> but their version of it and creating uh hip, one of hip hop's most famous break beats, you heard it at the very beginning of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apache by the incredible Bongo Band. Um, and what was funny, like when watching the documentary, the album didn't do that well. No. Well, there wasn't much that they did that did very well. Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they languished kind of in relative mediocrity, so to speak. And um, it, was, it wasn't until um, random DJ finds her song, spins it for one of his his one of his dance breaks and it takes off <laughs> in the hip hop community. But he, <laughs> he he found the break. People like that break. Then he bought another copy of it. It's like, "Hey, I can just switch back and forth and keep this going for Basically. about 15 minutes." <laughs> <laughs> and th- and so I found it interesting too that they said they took the covers off of their records. Yeah, uh, DJ Coolhurt said he took the covers off so mm-hmm. other DJs wouldn't see what he was actually playing because with the song with their with a pat that at the time it was a pretty obscure record. Yeah, it was. That like the, uh, they put the album out, it was still pretty, very obscure. So, uh, and like they and I think with Questlove being there, he said like the art of crate digging, a lot of it was based on instinct. Yeah, and like the. <laughs> album picture and things like that <laughs> the album cover look and um you know might give you an idea of how the song might sound or what you know what kind of songs might be on there mm-hmm. and um with that uh with the incredible bongo bands bongo rock um a lot of and a lot of other dj started using say grandmaster flash used it mm-hmm. uh grandmaster kaz used it a lot of grandmasters back then, but yeah, yeah. I thought. <laughs> so Bongo Rock was they used that in the thing with two heads, right? Yeah. Okay, that movie looked weird. Oh, <laughs> that like, was the weirdest. Was just, it sounded like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, <laughs> rather, um, than, rather than a movie. Yeah. Um. So, uh, part of this basically the the documentary is basically how the how the band came together mm-hmm. and then how the song basically how the song came to be. And then how did that song, um, become the foundation for what hip hop became? Yeah. Uh, so starts out with Michael Wiener and why I said, um, 
if Bobby Kennedy became president, the world would be a totally different place. Uh, Michael Wiener, who you may see his name on the cover of the Incredible Bongo Band album. Um, He's the one who uh, organized everything. But he started off as an aide to Robert Kennedy when he was running for president. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was very involved in politics at the time. And after Kennedy was assassinated, um, he started getting into other things. And people were saying that he's the kind of guy to where he didn't let a day go by without having some crazy idea. (laughs) (laughs) So um, he ended up getting into the uh, into the movie business and eventually the music business. Uh, and also a part of that was, uh, Rosie Greer who played, was a former NFL player. Um, was also a, uh, he was also working with Robert Kennedy on his campaign. And he was actually the guy to where, when Kennedy was shot, he had the weapon. Oh, wow. He had the weapon in his pocket. He took it from Sirhan Sirhan and he had it in his pocket. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and uh, when you know it was it, it was uh, found that Kennedy had died after being shot, um, you know he went into um, he got into acting mm-hmm. after his NFL career, and um, he didn't know Michael Weiner then. Well, they're both on the campaign. Yeah, they didn't really that. know each That's other. That's crazy. <laughs> but then when they're on this movie set. Um, they ran into each other again, even though they were working for the same guy. Um, So they ended up making a movie called The Thing with Two Heads. Which was just, yeah. Like that looks like a movie that they would put a Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yes. Um, You know, I feel like it has been. I think it was. One guy who's white, the other head is black, and he's a bigot. The white guy's a bigot, and Anytime he touches him, he says, don't touch me. Like it was, (laughs) it was just really weird. Um, but on the soundtrack to that film, (laughs) uh, was a song called Bongo Rock 72, uh, by the incredible Bongo band. And it was a track that Michael Wiener put together Mm -hmm. to, um, to have added to the soundtrack. And they said he was like a very, savvy salesman as he he once made a record called the best of marcel marceau and marcel marceau hilarious for those who not don't know who that is he's probably one of the most famous mimes of all time so how do you make a record with the best (laughs) best work of a mime and they said it's like 19 minutes of silence and then the last uh, one the last minute is just applause (laughs) it was when i heard that that was hilarious yeah and he sold 40,000 copies of that. <laughs> like, how, at what point? And I guess you couldn't do that today because eventually somebody would catch on. <laughs> but back then, it's like, hell. Like, they're just, I could just imagine someone sitting there waiting <laughs> for it to start. <laughs> like, all right, it's going to start. And then just the clapping. Like, that's it? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, and then, like, the way the musicians came together. Um you had uh, King Arison, who was discovered um, during the filming of Thunderball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, who just was, and so they showed his part too. Yeah. 
in that movie. As, of course, I've, I've never seen that one. I haven't seen many of the old James Bond movies, but like he was just going to town. Yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> um, he had the the fastest hands of any bongo player that you may ever see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there was Jim Gordon. Uh, we'll get to the demise of Jim Gordon later. And it, but, it was uh, a demise. <laughs> he is um, known as one of the best uh, session, session drummers yeah. ever. Uh, credited as a co-writer for Layla. Yeah. Uh, played a lot with Derek and the Dominoes. And um, there was also Bobby... I forget her last name. I, felt, I think it was Bobby Hall. Hall. Yeah. Uh, another... Um, session player known for playing the the bongos played a lot of Motown songs yeah um, so as a lot of session musicians that were brought together yeah that's what kind of blew me away was the fact that on um, every single recording or appearance he was able to get like these like really sought after session musicians to yeah. come play <laughs> and oftentimes got them to leave LA which was I know like nowadays of course you know you know, you record music everywhere, but like you thinking back then, the seventies, like things were a lot more centralized. Yeah. So you know, you're a lot of your session musicians live in L.A. because, like they said, um, we'd sit there. Some you got an R&B record. All right, we're gonna play some R&B. You got a country record. Okay, we're gonna play some country. Yeah, uh, we're gonna do this. Let me look up that guy because he has a very distinctive last name. Yeah. Was it Joe Sample? Joe Sample was. He was he was on that that yeah, first session. I'm trying to think of the piano player though. Yeah, Mike Melvoin. Yeah, there's a yeah. And so that was. I'm pretty sure that's Wendy Melvoin's father. That was one of my favorite parts of the documentary, where he just sat there and just went through every genre he would have to play through. <laughs> and he played like <laughs> yeah, like it, it was. Um, he was definitely like. Is, would it be a virtuoso musician? Yeah. And that's what and that's what good session. And that's like one of the things when, you know, whenever I used to research what it would take to be a session musician, you had to be able to play anything because you don't know who's walking in the door next. You know, it just might be someone who wants to do a gospel record. Can you play gospel? No. All right. Well, let's get somebody who can. You know, but if you can play everything, you can stay in there and you can keep playing. And that was one of my favorite parts where he just just went through and how he talked about like you know. We're the people that you hear on the records, you know? Yeah. Um, the Beach Boys. Because I was like, all right, well, maybe yeah, like Elvis. Yeah, duh. Elvis is going to have a back in me. The Beach Boys? Like that kind of, <laughs> I was like, I thought they were good. Or the birds. Like, they had, they're they not the, playing. Yeah, yeah the they're birds. not playing. Starbird, they're yeah. not playing it. It's, you know, these guys playing it. Mike Melvoin uh, was also a member of the Wrecking Crew. Okay. Okay. Uh, and yes, uh, Wendy, Susanna, and Jonathan Melvoin are his children. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Um, it runs in the family. Yes. Um, so yeah, it was just Mike, Mike Wiener putting together, like bringing these, like you said, the most sought after session musicians yeah. together, you know, to, to play this record, to be on this record and just looking for tracks. Like, you know, it seemed like he was bringing these people together, but then also piecing together pieces of other songs Mm -hmm. or other sessions to create a song. Yeah. And I just thought that was, (laughs) it'll probably, wouldn't seem like so weird today. 
<laughs> but back then, but back then yeah. <laughs> you know, he's taking pieces of other sessions that, you know, people aren't going to use. Like, oh, yeah, we don't need that. Oh, can I use that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we might, you know, like just might go that or something. Yeah, like that, was, <laughs> that was interesting. Um, just in, like who would think to do that back then? Yeah. You know, because I, I guess more so people were like, oh, the album has to be full of people who did it. But it's like it doesn't matter to me because like no like on each track, the same two people don't play. Yeah. Or on each tour, the same two people don't play. Like it was literally just a put together band. But everyone had to be good enough to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and uh, it was just fascinating with the like how the uh, how they came together. They they worked together for a few days and they put out this album. And it's hard to look at it from the perspective of when the album actually came out. We listen to that song today mm-hmm. and just as the track itself, I don't know if you would say like if it's ahead of its time or it was just so um, it's so different than anything that was being made at the time. Mm-hmm. But since it was so different than anything being made at the time really listening to it (laughs) and that still happens (laughs) to a degree to a degree i mean we have more access to music now but like the stuff that is ahead of its time is not on the radio you have to go find it (laughs) (laughs) and back then i can only imagine how difficult it was i mean hell he had to find it crate digging you know going through crates finding a record oh this looks interesting putting it on and using it you know and that was even after it came out yeah you know um one thing that was funny to me, like when I, I started watching it and they're talking about Robert F. Kennedy, I'm like, is this the right film? That's like, what I, I don't, too. what am I watching right now? Um, but there was a connection to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of forced <laughs> a little bit. Um, well, you know what I got from it? Um, Sirhan Sirhan was the godfather of hip hop. <laughs> I had a feeling we like that. Sirhan, Sirhan. Like, if it weren't... I mean, I hate to be one of those, like, I, do, I, do, I, I felt you were going to say... I knew you were going to say something like, Sirhan, Sirhan is, is the godfather of hip-hop, or Robert F. Kennedy made uh, this great sacrifice. <laughs> something like that. I mean, it's like, you got to think, no. like... It's one of those, like, you know, if a butterfly flaps his wings, you know, the butterfly effect thing, you know, the Sirhan, Sirhan effect. If he doesn't go out and assassinate Robert F. Kennedy, the incredible bongo band, you know, Michael Wiener continues on the campaign trail. Bongo band never gets formed. Patchy never comes out. Um, and it's never found and used at a, at a party. Yeah. What happens to the Sugar Hill gang? You know, you know, does that Fresh Prince episode ever get made? Yeah. <laughs> does it, you know, like that, you, it, all these things, you know, like does, is rappers delight enough to boost the profile of the Sugar Hill gang? <laughs> You know, like, is there a what? What's their follow up? You know, without Apache, I'm just saying. You know, these are the real questions, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, is, the history behind it is great, though, and that's what. Yeah. You know, when you suggested watching this, I didn't know who the Incredible Bongo Band was. I didn't even know what Apache was, other than like, oh, that song that the Sugar Hill Gang did. I never knew that was a sample. So, like, it is crazy to think like this, like little known record that went on to like you know to be used in so many famous samples like so many songs like it that, that like that blows stuff like that is kind of cool to me at least 
Yeah. Um, and uh, some people will credit uh, August 11th, 1973 as the, the hip hop's birthday uh, because that was the that was the party. OK. OK. Where DJ Cool Herc uh, charging 25 cents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder <what> he made. <laughs> where he uh, he probably made like he probably made like twenty five dollars, which would have been a lot at the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays you're like twenty five dollars. Man, please. I stay home. But twenty five to get in. Yeah. <laughs> where are we going? Where are we going nowadays, people? Um, I'm actually in a club. Yeah, where he he used that uh, he used that record and um, to it was just the beginning of the song. It was the, a break in the song, and you know a lot was talked about in the film how well Jim Gordon and King Arison played together. So tight. Yeah. So tight. Like honestly, and that's another thing about that sample. I would have thought I would have sworn that was a drum machine, <laughs> like how well they played together off of each other. Like that was that was probably one of the more impressive parts about it. I know they're like, oh, that's um, I forget the name of the guy who was on the organ. Like, no, the standout of that was Jim Gordon and King Erickson. <laughs> like that was the best part. Yeah, um, uh, I think his name was Hammond, or did he play the Hammond organ? I think he played the Hammond organ. Okay, um, but. Uh, was it Mike DC or he might have been the guitar player who got in with Mike Charles DC. Manson? Yeah, Mike DC was a guitar player. Um, who yeah, who got in with the Manson family? Yeah, and played recordings, which I was like, I didn't know that. You no, know, Charles Manson could sing because I knew he wanted to be a, he wanted to be a rock star. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was creepy, man. That that like we were talking about earlier, that turned him to God like, real quick. <laughs> When he went up there and he he hung out with the Manson family and they sent, well, he sent his um, two of his followers to kill, um, to go to someone's house and just kill everyone. Well, they were, yeah, he was, um, they were going to kill Terry Melcher and yes. anyone in the house. Yes. But Terry Melcher had moved. Yeah. So they just killed some random. So they just killed the people who were in the house. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> that was a. That was a segment that went on a lot longer than I thought it was. Yeah. It should, <laughs> but <laughs> well, and so that was kind of the documentary. Like there were certain parts of it that, like, it was kind of I don't, I don't want to say thrown together, but like it felt out of order at, at certain points. Yeah. Um. Whereas, like, you could have covered that earlier, or you could have covered like you didn't need to cover that right now, or sometimes you didn't need to cover that at all. Um. But yeah, though the Mike Deasy part about him hanging with the Manson family was pretty funny. Um. Robbie King. That was the organ player. Okay. Uh, also at Bobby Bobby Hall, uh, she played percussion. Um, there was also another couple of uh, drummers, Cat Hendrixy and Ed Green. Um, there was a debate on whether <laughs> on, on Apache in particular. Who played drums on Apache? Mm, was yeah. it Jim Gordon or was it Cat Hendrixy? Because Jim Gordon had to leave to um, for another LA session, uh, probably with Derek and the Dominoes or something like that. So he wasn't there that day when they recorded Apache, but mm. Cat Hendrixy was there, and <laughs> nobody knows 
mm-hmm. who played drums on that. Someone that they had me was like, oh yeah, that that sounds like Jim right there. Uh, that <laughs> yeah, that I think yeah, that's Cat. That sounds more like Cat. Or did they combine them? And like, yeah. no one really knows. Maybe only Mike Wiener knows. May he rest in peace. Oh, he ain't telling because <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so I thought that was that was pretty fun to where. Uh, it, it's just another. <laughs> oh, whoops! Yeah, these headphones are sensitive. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. Um, cough. <laughs> but uh, like with Mike Wiener just piecing these things together yeah, to to tell? make something, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think he he probably would be considered a great producer today. I mean, if he had started around this time. With the advent of computers yeah. and other kinds of technology with music production. I mean, I guess you could kind of compare him to a DJ Khaled, honestly. Just gathering talent, play on my yeah. record. Um, I also thought it was funny at the end when they had King Erickson sitting with the guy who was... Um, Leon re- Silver's son. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Who was um, doing a remix of yeah. the, the Hawaii Five-0 thing. Hawaii Five-0 thing. Yeah. yeah, and he was like, you know, King Erickson was just like, yeah, man, this it's crazy. It's so easy, man. Like back then, back then, these razors. <laughs> I remember Barry Gritty used to say, "If you didn't use a razor, it's not a hit record." I was like, "Yeah." He was probably editing the ca- the crap out of some of those songs, but <laughs> with a razor. Um, and then this thinking, like, Ugh, I wouldn't want to do that with a razor. That be mm. no thanks. I'm glad we got Pro Tools and computers now. <laughs> like, thank God. Um, I think that was uh, kind of giving. It was kind of a way to man been forced a little bit to as far as like bridging the gap to where what these guys were doing and to how their music is used today. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a nice little segment. Um, may not have necessarily been needed. Needed, yeah. Well, no, there's except for that line about what <laughs> like if Barry Gordy said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was that was that was cool. Um, I didn't mind. I didn't mind it too much. It was kind of an add on at mm-hmm. the end, though. But, but uh, I, I liked it how they had them all together though playing. Yeah. Um, I will say I can't remember which drummer it was, but he looked like it hurt to play drums. And I mean, I imagine maybe it did at his, at this point in his in his age or whatever. Did he have on gloves? Yeah. I think that was the cat cat Hendrix. Cat, okay. Yeah, he was playing and he looked like every hit hurt. It's <laughs> like <laughs> damn, that sucks. Um, but he still sounded good. They all still sounded good. Yeah. The musicianship never goes away. Um. And, you know, these were some of the best. So that's if you wonder why it sounded so good, why it sounded so precise. These were people who literally played all day for a living. Like, that's all they did. What the is is funny is that they didn't they didn't interview him. So it was kind of like so it made it seem like if you're watching it and you hear everyone else's stories, it was, mm-hmm. it was like, OK, yeah, right. This that was that didn't really happen. About Ringo Starr may have played on some of the songs. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, him and Mike Wiener, they were friends. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but it seemed like with everyone else that they interviewed, why couldn't they interview Ringo Starr? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, I played on that song. That could have all he needed to say. Yeah, and that could have, yeah. Where was Ringo Starr? They got Gene Simmons and narrated. Yeah. Where's Ringo Starr? So you can't tell me that you don't have pull. <laughs> like, if Ringo Starr was at your wedding, Mm-hmm. Along with, I think they said Paul McCartney was like, there were a couple yeah. other Beatles that were there. You probably, I'm pretty sure you could have just, you know, or even like a phone thing, you know, where he's like, I played on it. And then, <laughs> and that was it. 
That was it. That was so. That was interesting. With um, his was it his sister who was sitting there talking to Ringo Starr? Yeah, and didn't know she was talking to Ringo Starr. Yeah, and he said that's <laughs> why we're having a meaningful conversation. So I imagine maybe at that level of fame, you don't get offended anymore. You get relieved when someone doesn't know who you are. You're not like, oh, you don't know who I am. You're just like, oh, thank God. Like, I can have a normal conversation with this person. And I thought that was very interesting. But I wish we could have Ringo Starr there to you know, corroborate some of this stuff. That would have been interesting. Because uh, with him not being there. Basically, I'm I, I'm more inclined to believe everyone else is like Ringo Star. Ringo Star didn't come by the studio. I was there all the time. He never showed up. Like I was there all four days we were recording. Ringo started walking there mm-hmm. one time. Yeah. <laughs> Sit down to the drums and be like, "All right, let's take it from the top." Um, yeah. Not to mention, I mean, not to insult Ringo Star, these guys were so much better than him. So, like, when I'm listening to this, I can you don't have to ask me, "Is that Ringo Star?" I'm like, "No, that's not. That's no." That's not Ringo Starr. He's not that good. These were like really good session players. Yeah. Um, uh, and with their, I didn't, I didn't even look at the rest of their album. I knew like about, you know, before suggesting this topic, mm-hmm. I knew they had done Apache. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know anything else in the rest of the album. <laughs> well, I mean, they're all covers, so I mean, like what I yeah, see. Yeah, there's here, a cover of Inagata de Vida. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the a wipeout on the second one. The wipeout. Yeah. I, lis- I listened to wipeout yesterday as well. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm just looking. I don't yeah. know many of these songs. So, I want to see what you thought about this. So, did you listen to any of the older versions of Apache, like by the Shadows? And- yeah very different they yeah. really put their own spin on it um and i remember so i remember watching when watching the um the documentary seeing some of the older um instrumental you know groups play it where it was just like it was an instrumental group made up like a rock band with two guitar players a bass player and a drummer and they're playing instrumental music and how awkward it looked yeah um and then you know not even really being able to recognize the song you know, from what they made it into, like even going back and listening to recordings, like you hear the, but you don't hear much else. Like it's very boring and they go in and they add all these bongos and this really good session drummer, um, organ player, these horns, like they really, so like, yeah, it was a cover, but like it was a cover in the sense of like, you won't recognize this other than that little melody. You're not going to recognize anything else. Yeah. Um, they made it baked me a version where, the reason why it's called the Incredible Bongo Band, there's only one bongo player. Yeah. <laughs> but King Harrison was the star of that band. Yeah. The, like everything was built around him. I guess you could say Jim Gordon as well. Yeah. But everything was built was built around the percussion. Mm-hmm. The music part, the the melodies was all filler. Yeah. And it's good filler, but it was filler. Yeah. <laughs> The, but the point of what were these bongos like this is this is be this is the best bongo playing you have ever heard in your mm-hmm. life <laughs> um so like yeah everything was built around them so with doing these covers and you're building and you're basically your band is is built around the bongo player you're gonna put your own stamp on it on mm-hmm. whatever you make um but yeah with uh the other versions of Apache, 
Yeah, like I'm, I, I was, I wasn't even hearing the the main melody that you hear. <laughs> like I wasn't even hearing that part. Like this, the same song. You sure? Yeah, I had to, so when I watched the documentary, <laughs> I was saying, I was like, this doesn't sound anything. <laughs> no. Like I had to actually go back to watch it to realize they were saying like these were the original versions because they were so different. And then finally, I went on Spotify and I found the version by the Shadows and listened to it. And you can hear. Like you don't hear it at first, but like as the song goes on, I'll you hear the, the melody. Uh, the shadows version of it from the shadows' greatest hits. Sounds very western. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like I I I hear this in a western movie. I think it was it was originally in a western. Was it okay? Yeah. That's probably where they got the name from. But this this doesn't get sampled, you know. No, <laughs> no one samples this version. Oh, there's also a version by the Ventures, another instrumental group. still the western theme Native American theme with that uh, with the percussion there this one has more really of of a Native American theme with the drums coming in yeah okay it's not bad I just, I don't know, man. It'd just be so weird to perform these songs. Like, and they looked awkward. Like, they looked, you know. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was the Shadows or the Ventures, but they showed a clip of performance. Okay, you have your drummer all the way to, what you have him on one side, and then you got your two guitar players and your bass player. They're all lined up. You know, they're all in a line. So awkward. And they they were trying to emote with their face, and I was just like... (laughs) Because you're not singing. You're just- no one's singing. <laughs> it's, it was very awkward during those times. Yeah. Before, you know, shoegaze. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had something to look at, right? <laughs> that would be your shoes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, with the... Uh, I wish there was a little bit more because basically the story, the story was supposed to be, okay, how this song came together Mm -hmm. and then how hip hop used it Mm -hmm. and it became the foundation of a new genre. Yeah. Uh, I wish there was more on the hip hop side with it. Yeah. I felt that was lacking a little bit and I thought they would go more into it because then I started looking into it to see like, you know, the people that sampled it and there were a lot of people that sampled it. I didn't realize, you know, it made you look, I never realized all these years that it's just sampling the drum, you know, the drum um, break. And then apparently um, I didn't realize it was in Root Down by Beastie Boys. There's so many samples. Like the ones you know, of course, are like, you know, Apache by Sugar Hill Gang. Yeah. And um, the one that uh, that uh, Sir Mix-A-Lot did where he kind of basically did Apache, but he just called out cities instead. Oh, yeah. um, I know you're talking about. I can't remember yeah. the name of it. But then apparently it was in Ninja Rap. I didn't realize it was sampled in Ninja Rap. I, I I still don't hear it, but the article I read said that 
Okay. Yeah, Ninja Rap by Vanilla Ice. <laughs> I know there's a Missy Elliott song too yeah. where she sampled it, mm-hmm. but it was clearly she was sampling because it, it had the melody part yeah. of there too. Um, didn't we find that for Sir Mix a Lot song? <laughs> it's like Atlanta, what's up? Chicago, what's up? Yeah. Oh, it's called Jump On It. Oh, okay. Yeah, jump On It. We're going to play that for y'all real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so that you know that he was more than just Baby Got Back. And more than just Seattle. Yes, for many years I didn't know this was him. I thought like it was a re- like just Sugar Hill Gang doing updated version of it or something. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, how oh, they calling out cities? Okay. Dallas and San Antonio. See? Yeah. He just called out three Texas cities. <laughs> yeah, I think he's four. Just now Texas. four. Te- All right. The first Tulsa. verse was for Texas. The second. <laughs> Tulsa, what's up? <laughs> Lawton, what's up? Fort Worth. <laughs> Hold on, wait, you're from, you're not from Lawton, are you? Is it Norman? Yeah. Okay, I can remember if you're Norman or Lawton. Oh, yeah, he would have moved up to Oklahoma then. <laughs> and what's then, what? up, Lawton, what's up? In Kansas. What's up, Lincoln? What? No, not Lincoln. No, not Kansas. What's up, Topeka? What's up? <laughs> um, I, could, yeah, I could hear that. Then just, you know, end in Minnesota. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, like I said, I, was, I wish there was more with, with that. I mean, they went to... Because with some things, like, with a guy, how he ended up, like, creating the scratch effect, like, making the scratch effect that part was, of the song. Okay, yeah, that was cool. That was cool when they talked about that. But I felt like, other than the origins of it, they didn't really go much further. Yeah. And I mean... Granted, even with that, other than the story of Jim Gordon with the bongo band, they didn't go much further than, like, maybe the second record they talked about. But like, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would like to have heard more because I felt like, in my opinion, if I were making it, the first half would have been the history of putting the song together, and then the second half would have been about, you know, at the at the midway point, you talk about the birth of hip hop using this sample, and then you go on and all right, so where did it take us into the future? Instead, they talked about hip hop. Then they went right back to the bongo band. Yeah, and talked about them and all what happened with them. It's like I mean that's cool and all, but like the point is supposed to be this song and how the the sample mm-hmm. what is well probably still is a crucial part of mm-hmm. hip hop music, and this was the first major one mm-hmm. as far as the foundation for the genre itself. Mm-hmm. And then how other artists used other samples from the Incredible Bongo Band, and then with, and then just sampling other music in general. Yeah. So I wish there was a little more with that. There's probably another documentary out there, um, <laughs> which was not narrated by Gene Simmons. <laughs> I felt like he didn't put his all into it. <laughs> I felt like he kind of he felt he, he felt out of place. Yeah, it seemed out of place for me. Mm-hmm. But I think because he was a friend of. Yeah. Of Michael Viener, and he's got a name. He's got a name. <laughs> he's got a name. Yeah, it's like yeah, Gene Simmons. Okay, we, we we got the guy from Kiss. Like, I mean, we weren't going to get Liv Schreiber, who does all the the HBO documentaries. Oh, he, it seems he does, doesn't he? Yeah, he's good. <laughs> we weren't going to get him on this one. <laughs> um. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a little disjointed 
and a lot more with the backstory of the people themselves. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind that so much if it was more of that, if mm-hmm. it was more that direction mm-hmm. um, rather than trying to straddle the fence. Yeah, that, uh, that's a good you know, that's a that's a very good description because that's what it felt like it was doing. Um, I wish there were some other DJs that could have talked to. Um, okay, Cool Herc is the one that was using it. They didn't talk with, to him very much. Well, they had like a clip of him, I think, mm-hmm. um, using that, using the sample. They talked to Grandmaster Kaz. Uh, they talked to Africa oh, Bambada, man. which was very weird with the glasses he had so, on. So <laughs> I was watching it when Kendra came home and she was like, who is that? <laughs> I was like, that's a, I was like, that's a, a music legend, a production legend. She's like, yeah, but why he look weird? <laughs> he had like a Jamaican um, eyeglasses or something. Was that I think it was Brazil. Flag? Brazil, Brazilian flag. It was the green with the ball. Yeah. Yeah. What what was that? <laughs> so I mean, you know, respect, you know, but what was that? That's man? these just always kind of been like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> with eyewear, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talked to a couple of other uh, the guy who did the scratch. I can't remember his name, but he's the one who I wouldn't say invented it. Well, maybe he did, mm-hmm. and it was totally by accident. Yeah. <laughs> um, and be, and base and basically how this came to be as far as like with Apache being such a a crucial record that um like with Questlove saying like it's DJs are picking these songs these records by instinct. Yeah. <laughs> um I guess they weren't going to have the opportunity to play the record in the store. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, and what's on this record? And so I found that interesting because it didn't look like they were going for well-known music. Right. Like you're just going for like what looks interesting. Because as we mentioned, this was not a well-known song. It wasn't big. Right. So like the songs are sampling, you know, other than like maybe what um La Chic, um the I'm thinking of the one that Sugar Hill Gang. That was a that was a, a popular song, but like Oh, Good Times by Good Times, Sheik. yeah. But yeah. for the most part it seems like a lot of the samples I've seen were from artists that weren't very big. Or just not as big as, you know, what the sample that was used for became. <laughs> yeah. Like one of those, um, I don't know if there'll ever be a, um, well, it might make for an interesting documentary. Because uh, I saw when, if you look in credits of like Kanye's first two or three albums, mm-hmm. a lot of the songs sample the song uh, Long Red by Mountain. Hmm. Real like that you're a mountain. If you heard the song Mississippi Queen, okay, I heard that from playing uh, Guitar Hero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they had a song called Long Red, in which uh, there's a drum break. Uh, it was like a it was like a live version of the song, and there's this drum break at the very beginning, yeah, which is used, um, like as much or if not more than Apache. Oh, wow. And, uh, let me see if I can find it, but there was a, it was like a live bootleg version. Yeah. There's some interesting, some interesting drum samples that you hear that you have to wonder how people found them. There's another one that was used at the beginning of, um, used at the beginning of killing me softly. That was really good. I don't know if this is it. Uh, 
That's not it. Because it, it was a live version. That's the album version. You know what I'm surprised it's never been used? The beginning of when the levees break. Because now I'm just thinking of like interesting drum things that could be used. I'm surprised that's never been used. I could I could totally see speeding that up and making that to a sample. Or maybe it has been. I just don't know. Yeah, when the levees break? Yeah, by um, Led Zeppelin. I feel like that has been used. I bet it has. We can go to whosample.com later oh, yeah. and, and see. <laughs> uh, whosample.com is also a, a great source to see what songs have been used mm-hmm. or covered or remixed. Um, uh, great catalog of what they have there. And I didn't even look at what uh, songs had used Apache. Cause I, that It'll take me probably hours. Yeah. <laughs> Just know that it's extensive. Yeah. Um. So, like, uh, well, we wanted to get into the, the demise of Jim Gordon here. Uh, yeah. Even though I feel like it was a part of the film that may not have been necessary, but if you're talking about the people behind this song, you, you probably had it. to mention it. Yeah. Uh, so when with that segment, like, what did you what did you get from it? Didn't see it coming. <laughs> like that was. I I mean I guess I kind of saw him going crazy per se or I wouldn't say crazy I thought it would be drugs more so when he was like he missed this session alright give him a second chance he missed another session okay he's obviously on some sort of drugs that's keeping him no he's crazy he's you know it says here schizophrenia um started to hear voices um starved himself um you know sleep deprivation um I just I didn't see it coming. Like it was one of those. I just yeah. that kind of came out of left field. Yeah. Yeah. To me, like I thought he wasn't being interviewed because he had died. Yeah, that's what I assumed, and I I purposely um, didn't look him up. Yeah. Because I didn't want to know what happened. Um. So I just avoided that altogether. To, I just because if he's dead, I'll just find out when it happens when they tell me. Um. Nope. He's in prison. Oh, why? Because he chopped up his mother. Like. <laughs> Killed and chopped her up. Like, whoa. Yeah. Like, it, uh, it was pretty jarring Yeah, to hear that. And people were saying, like, how nice of a guy he was. He mm-hmm. was a guy he wanted to hang out with. And he had all this talent. Um, He was one of the best. Yeah. Well, and, and, and going back to that part where it was like, you know, he was a nice guy. They're like, everybody wanted to room with him. He's the perfect person to room with. Isn't that kind of scary? <laughs> like now that like, oh man, I roomed with Jim on tour. Like I, I, I was bunkmates with him. Like that's that's. What if he chopped me up? What if he heard voices that told him to chop me up? Chop up Mike Daisy. Like, like that's kind of yeah. look. Mike Daisy had enough problems. <laughs> he had enough problems, man. By then, I would have. I think he might have found the Lord <laughs> after the Charles Manson thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the Charles Manson segment? That was like other so, than from what we already said, but that was just so it was so interesting to me because I felt like I got a little bit more educated on Charles Manson because I knew that he wanted to be a rock star, but I'd never heard his recordings. And you know, this guy goes up in the mountains with Charles Manson, takes his recording equipment, and actually we hear a Charles Manson song in the on the documentary. And I remember thinking to myself, like, it's not that good. So I see why he didn't make it. He wasn't a bad singer. Maybe if someone else was writing the songs, but like, I thought that was very interesting. Of course, we don't know what Charles Manson, you know, is to become until, of course, he starts telling stories about Charles Manson chasing up a mountain with a hatchet. You know, it's like, all right, that's cool. Yep, and yep, yep, yep. 
he that, sends his followers. <laughs> he sends his followers to someone's house to kill everyone there, and and you would think that and it would and it, the person they were yeah. supposed to kill wasn't even didn't even live there anymore. You would think when he gets there, when they get there, oh, you're not. He's not here. All right, let's go back. No, they just kill them anyway. So it's the no. It was that was kind of creepy, but it was very it was very interesting to me. That was one of those parts where like you do it, you don't expect that to be in there. But like that, it's in there. Like, okay, this is a nice little tidbit of information that somehow relates to the Incredible Bongo Band. Yeah, um, they were connected to a couple of different things: the mm-hmm. assassination of Bobby Kennedy, Charles Manson, work with the Motown, mm-hmm. um, Eric to Eric Clapton. Yeah, you know um, the Frank Sinatra. Yeah, he played with yeah the guitar player played with Frank. Who was it that played with? Well, it was Jim Gordon that played with Derek and the Dominoes, and I believe they said that um, I forget where is it. It was that they went and he was there, <laughs> like Eric Clapton was just sitting in the lobby. I forget where it was they said they went. I can't I don't know. remember. It might have been when because I'm I'm trying to make sure I'm not mixing up um, mixing up documentaries here. Um, Michael Wiener was he knew um, he knew Marvin Gaye right he was something like when he came through to the lobby of where he was when he was a kid or am I thinking of something else he knew he knew Jerry Butler and, well he knew Marvin Gaye too yeah he knew Marvin yeah, Gaye okay because yeah. Marvin Gaye just came over and this was in D.C. and he was like you know it was yeah D.C. was still pretty segregated but yet you have this black man walking through <laughs> the lobby who didn't work there um, it was Marvin Gaye and I was like that's that was pretty damn cool, actually. <laughs> um, but it's a... Uh, I would recommend this... Um, yeah, to learn the history. Right. Yeah. There's a lot with the... Uh, it connects to music history in a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I can definitely appreciate about it. Um, I think with... After they... Um, I understand going through the history of the band. As I said, I just wish there was more as far as where this song went as far as how it affected, how it was the foundation for a genre. And I wish there was more about why, what drew people to the song. Yeah. Was it just a drum break? Was it the, the, the melody of it, how everything was put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause different parts of the song have been sampled, not mm-hmm. just that drum break. And like, what drew people to it? What do they like about it? Is it, you know, the way that Arison Gordon play off of each other mm-hmm. where it's just, it's, it's, it's tight to where it's almost mechanical. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it, yeah. Um, yeah. I just wish there was more to know about what was, what what drew what draws people to the uh to that song what made it so popular at the time mm-hmm. to where let's take this piece of the of the song mm-hmm. and loop it for 15 minutes <laughs> so people just dance um what was what else was there from the documentary that that kind of surprised you or was like nice to learn about mm. i don't know one thing this was, I guess, this was just an interesting thing I noticed. It seemed like it was a compliment to be called a black musician. Like, so when Bobby Hall, she was like, when she heard Jim Gordon play, 
And she was like, you sound like a black, you sound like a black guy <laughs> playing drums. It's just like, I guess that was like the compliment, like to be, to sound like a black musician. They also mentioned how Jim Gordon was one of the few um, drummers who could, um, on the high, well, not on the hi-hat, but on the ride, play like a jazz type beat rather than just a straight ahead beat. So his, his um, hi-hat hits a little bit more syncopated. Um, I thought that was interesting how they just like, they were looking for people that sounded like black musicians except for black musicians which <laughs> I mean at the time I mean maybe that you know there maybe there weren't a lot of black drummers I don't know because I mean you know the two main percussions they got were black um but the drummer the guitar player the bass player all white I don't know I thought that was I thought that was interesting of course you're going to LA looking for session musicians you're not going to Memphis you're not going to Detroit yeah you're going to LA so you just happen to get this dude from Jamaica <laughs> <laughs> Um, I thought it was interesting as well that uh, even with just putting, <laughs> okay, I, I wasn't sure if I saw this right, but okay, they made the first album, mm-hmm. right? And they are going out to promote it and they got a totally new group of people mm-hmm. <laughs> to be, to do the TV appearances. Yeah. Um, one of the guys I can't remember his name, but he was he ended up being in Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. Ah, no, I wish I could remember who that was. Yeah, but he was just he was just a touring person. <laughs> so they got a totally new group of people to play it to to be the the face of the band. And what was also interesting is that um, some of the black musicians that were the the touring group or whatever. Mm-hmm. There was that one guy who's like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, he was just totally disinterested. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I couldn't tell, like, was he like, this isn't really my thing? Or did he just think it was whack? He <laughs> thought it was just whack. Like, this is playing this corny music. Because <laughs> it did kind of sound corny. I mean, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I, this was one of those reason why I wanted to do uh, do this topic like I, I really enjoy the stories behind how songs are made yeah. if there was like there was a lot to go into there was a lot with this story like okay it started with the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy mm-hmm. we have a guy who was involved in Charles with Charles Manson um, we have uh, this really weird movie <laughs> the thing with two heads <laughs> this really weird movie that was kind of like that started it all um, as far as like the idea of, well, let's make a whole album with this kind of concept. Mm -hmm. Um, And then how uh, (laughs) it was, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those uh, DJ happenstance things, you know, where like a DJ plays the B side of a record Mm -hmm. and on the radio and ends up being a hit Mm -hmm. in a way, a DJ, just thinking that something looks interesting on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, like, look, the the hands with the bongos on the cover. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this might be something. Um, turns into the foundation for a genre that has changed music history. Yeah. Um, it may take a little longer for people t- for for that to sink in as far as this song here, this one song right here changed music forever. And there are a bunch of guys who you didn't know their names before then. Mm-hmm. And they're probably still gonna, not going to get the credit that they really deserve. Probably not. But 
that piece of music that they made yeah. <laughs> lives on. Lives on. Yeah. Um, as uh, Africa Mbada said, yeah, well, if we move from planet, from planet to planet, uh, the incredible bongo band will be there. <laughs> <laughs> that guy looks weird. I'm sorry. He just <laughs> yeah, the Brazil sunglasses. <laughs> Let's see if that's a thing. <laughs> Maybe get some and rock them African bombadas. <laughs> um, there are probably some American ones that you'll find here. He probably was in Brazil when he got those. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that will do it for our discussion on the documentary Sample This. You can watch it on Netflix. Uh, it is narrated by Gene Simmons. Um, also features an interview with Questlove. Uh, he's probably talked about this documentary. He has his own podcast. Uh, but it only it's only on Pandora. Hmm. I was trying to find it on iTunes or something, but it's only on Pandora. But anyway... We'll get to my earworm of the week. Is it Katy Perry too? No, oh. no, it is not. It is not Katy Perry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I found them. <laughs> yeah. Um, this <laughs> really found them. Okay. Uh, so this uh, this song is something I was on my I don't know if it was I think it was on my Discover Weekly playlist. That's that's such a good playlist. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me pull up here. So uh, this is an artist named Amber Mark. She is um, well. She has lived in different places around the world, including India, Brazil, and Nepal. Uh, she has been on. I thought she was maybe I'm thinking of somebody else as far as like what uh, album they were featured on. Mm. But anyway, uh, this is a song from her debut EP called 333 AM. Uh, it's called Lose My Cool. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of songs similar to this where it has that kind of um, not the tropical house beat, mm -hmm. but kind of stuff like what Drake's been doing lately. Mm -hmm. But uh, vocally, it sounds better than what Drake has been doing lately. So that's why I like this song. Um, so this is Lose My Cool by Amber Mark from her EP 3.33 AM. And we will be right back. I was so full of pain just stuck in my head. There was no one they could get me out of it Yes, I think the drinking was a bit excessive Just to be frank The drinking ain't what caused me to be aggressive My heart has been taken
Lose My Cool by Amber Mark from her EP 3.33 AM and uh, yeah you can find that also on our BTT YST Air Wars playlist available on Spotify sponsors right now (laughs) (laughs) so that will bring us to the end of our episode Ben where can we be found since we want to be found at least yeah, this podcast found. at least yeah some people don't want to be found they come on here they first and foremost um, at by the time you hear this dot com uh, where you can find all episodes with nice little neat summaries and pictures and videos and all that all that jazz um, you can find us on facebook.com slash by the time you hear this spelled with the word you um, if you that is also the spelling for what am I thinking I'm stuttering here. That's also the spelling for our website. Yes. There we go. If you want to find us on the, the stylish, fancy social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, props to Instagram because everything that, like, someone else does, they're like, no, we, we got we got an answer for that. <laughs> I, I got to give them that. I got to give it up to them for that. Um, on Instagram, we are at by the time you hear this, spelled with the letter U because. We're upstanding. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And we'll always be upstanding. Um, same spelling for our email address at gmail.com. Um, you can find us as far as listening on a multitude of platforms and applications on them. Their cell phones, um, Podomatic. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find not Stitcher Satchel, the Satchel other podcast, Satchel player. podcast player. You can find us on TuneIn. You can find us on Google play, um, which you have to download. I found this. I have to download the Google music app. I think you said that on one of the last episodes. Too. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually through the Google Music application. You can find us. Um, you can find us on iTunes slash the Apple Podcast app, whatever they, they do now. I don't know. I'm not a part of that family anymore. Um, I'm so disappointed in you. I'm still disappointed. <laughs> you can find us on CastBox, Overcast. Um, plenty of ways to listen. Um, comment. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, like Greg said, if you're an indie artist, send us your music. We'll listen to it on air. No payola here, guys. We'll we'll just no, play no it. No charge. We'll just play it. Um, I mean, if you want to give us money, we won't turn it down. Yeah. But let the record show that we ain't going to ask you for nothing. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, send us something. Talk to us. All right. Um, so, yeah, you can find us in all those places. So, we're going to end the show. Um, now, we started off with... The original Apache, well, mm-hmm. not the original Apache, but the Incredible Bongos <laughs> band's original version of Apache. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we 
should we use a song that sampled Apache? Or I also found the Grandmaster Flash remix. <laughs> I would like to hear that because I haven't heard it yet. Okay. I did see that and I didn't get a chance to listen to it. All right, so we'll use that. This is the Grandmaster Flash remix of Apache by the Incredible Bongo Band. We're going to end the show here. And thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.